welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. What do Arnold Potter, born in 1804 in the USA, Shoko Azahara, born in Japan, 1955, and Alan John Miller, born in Australia, 1967, have in common? I'm guessing you don't know any of these people. Uh, I didn't until I looked them up. They all believe, or believed, because a couple of them are passed away, that they were or are Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now, before we laugh or scoff or think, oh, these are just people who are very proud and whatever, they actually suffer from, probably, I don't know if they've been diagnosed, I don't know any of them personally, but from a disease called, a mental health disease called um, grandiosity schizophrenia. They have a grand idea of who they are. And they believe that they are Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now, we might look with sympathy on them, and we should if people are suffering from that. However, this isn't just sort of something that is sad, but actually potentially and has been very damaging and even dangerous. Um, Arnold Potter actually died trying to ascend into heaven. He jumped off a cliff believing he would ascend into heaven and he died, tragically. Um, Soko Asahara uh, launched a terrorist attack on the Tokyo subway, believing he was called to be Jesus the revolutionary and liberate some or all people of Japan from whatever the oppression was. And so he launched a terrorist attack and was sentenced to death for it. Uh, John Miller, A.J. Miller is called, is actually alive in Australia, amassing a following of people, and yet there is a trail of affairs and, um, and money laundering and all kinds of stuff that's following him. And so these aren't just people who are suffering from something that is sad. The results of their identity crisis, people who believe they are somebody they are not, is actually creating damaging and dangerous results in the world. Now, we may look at that and think, I mean, I know a bunch of you, I've, I've never met all of you, but probably none of you think you are Jesus Christ. It's not something you suffer from. And so it would be easy to think, oh, that's just weird. That's just strange. That has nothing to do with my life. And yet, if I can say this, I think it hits closer to home than we might realize. And here's what I mean. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we talked about um, learning how to get breakthrough in our lives. And last week, we made this uh, assertion uh, that just like we have um, maps in our life that allow us to see where the roads are, and we may memorize them, or for some of us who can't do that, we have Google or paper that get us to the bank or get us to school or to our favorite restaurant or to a new beach when we're in a new city or whatever, back in the day when we used to travel to new cities. Um, and we have maps like that. But John Mark Homer in his book, Live No Lies, which is kind of a companion read for us in this series, makes this point. Um, we all have ideas about the world that coalesce into a mental map of reality, of the way the world is. We don't just have ideas about where um, grocery stores are. We have ideas about everything. And the most important ideas um, on your map are about who God is and who we are. And we made this point that it's possible, in fact, probable and likely for all of us that some of the features on our map are true and good and in a sense real. And others of them, though we may believe they are real and true, are actually false. And even if you've never heard this idea before, perhaps you've had this experience of 
heading down, if I could say this, a road at full speed in a relationship, a decision, a way of life, something you were planning on doing that you were sure was right and good for you and other people only to realize later, oh my gosh, I was heading in the wrong direction. Oh my gosh, I was not seeing things that were actually there or I was seeing things that weren't there. And later I realized that was false. That wasn't true. And we may not think of that in terms of like, maps, but that's actually the way we live our lives. And the most important ideas and the features on these maps are who God is and who we are. We said this, that um, if we want to get unstuck and unhindered from the things that we are dealing with in our lives to actually get breakthrough, we actually need to begin to examine our mental maps and say, which things are true and good and real. And we said that word truth really just means reality and which things might be false, which things might be illusions, which things am I seeing that aren't really there or believing that that's true, that's right, that's true north, that's a good path for me, that's a good direction in my life, in my relationships, in the way I handle money and what I'm gonna do for a living and how I handle all of these things and which things are not. These ideas about who God is and who we are are the most important features on the map. Rob Reamer in his book, Soul Care, says it this way. If the foundation of a building is improperly laid, the building is doomed. It doesn't matter how slowly you construct it or how carefully you build, or if you use the best material, or if you have the best builder. If the foundation is faulty, the building is in jeopardy. What you believe about yourself is the foundation of your life. It is your identity and a faulty foundation will create cracks in the soul. And listen to this. If you are going to construct a healthy life, it begins with what you believe about yourself. If you're going to construct a healthy life, it begins with what you believe about yourself. But this by itself presents a problem. If we want to use Reamer's analogy of the foundation or Comer's analogy of the map, it presents a problem. Why? Because once you build a foundation and build a house, you never look at or think about the foundation. You just live on it. You live in the house. You live in the daily life on the surface level of what's going on in the house and life. You don't often think about the foundation or you don't often think about whether a map is true or real or whatever. You just follow it until perhaps you come to a place in life. You're like, how did I end up here? This is wrong. This is faulty. Only then do we begin to start to look at or examine the map. But if we are going to get unstuck and unhindered, if we are going to get breakthrough in our lives, if we are going to be able to move forward in the areas, in an area of life, in a thought pattern, in a relationship, or in all of life, um, if we're going to get unstuck, if we're going to be unhindered from the movements we know we need to make in the places we want to go and grow, we need to actually examine the foundation. We need to look at the map more closely and say, how do I know my map is true and good and real? How do I know this foundation is strong and not flawed and faulty? And that's the quest we're on to do that. And as I said to you a couple of weeks ago, not going to be fun, but it is going to be really good. Now, as we turn to the pages of scripture, one of the things we said last week, we realized that scripture actually validates this for us because its description 
um, in the very first pages of the very first book in the library of scripture say that the world has come undone. The reason the world is beautiful, but also broken the way, the reason we are beautiful, but also broken is that it has come undone through lies that the lies that were believed at the very beginning were a lie about God and a lie about who God is and a lie about who we are. And because of that, the world has unraveled. And so in a sense, we have to deal with these questions of identity. Who is God and who we are? So it's no surprise then that Jesus and the writers of the New Testament, um, the writers of the New Testament, when they were writing letters to new groups of Jesus followers all over the Middle East and Central Asia, um, before there was a Bible, there was just writings. People were writing letters to, to help them understand as followers of the way. That's what they were called, followers of the way of Jesus. Um, how they were meant to live their lives. But it's interesting in almost every single letter, um, the letter begins not with how they were meant to live their lives, but who God was and who they were. Listen to this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Jesus followers in Central Asia modern-day Turkey and the surrounding areas, and how it begins with who God is and who we are. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This letter has some of, in this very section that was just read, has some of the most beautiful truths about who God is and who we are. And I want to just take a moment to, to camp out in those and, and listen to what those truths are and then tell you why we don't really believe them, <laughs> why we struggle to believe them, why they sound good, but really we, we don't actually believe they are true. Here's what it says. It says that God is a father this, this perfect, gracious, loving, recklessly loving parent who not only before you were born, but before the foundation of the world for reasons of love, it says in love, God planned before the foundation of the world that you would be his child that you would be adopted into his family, that you would get to experience the love of the family of God, that you would have brothers and sisters who are also like you brought into the family of God, that you would, just like Jesus is the truly perfectly loved son of God and gets all of the riches of, of, of the inheritance of being a part of, of God's family, we get to share that too as brothers and sisters of Jesus, as children of God. This passage says we were adopted into God's family and... Not only did God plan before the foundation of the world, before you were ever born, that you would belong to him, that you would be loved by him and part of his family. He also planned that you would have a good and beautiful purpose in the world. 
Like that God is creating you in a sense, it says here, as this masterpiece or workmanship to do good and beautiful things in the world, which is really just to join Jesus actually in his mission. This is what we, this is who we are, children of God, loved in the family of God, called to do good and beautiful things in the world. It is basically saying from the start, you have been given intimacy and meaning. This is what you have in Christ. What's true is you are a loved child of God. You belong to his family and you have a good and beautiful purpose in the world. That's what this scripture says is true about you and true about me. Intimacy and meaning right from the start. But we don't actually believe that. Here's what we actually believe instead. What we really believe is I am an orphan and my life in this world has no real meaning. I'm an orphan and my life in this world has no real meaning. Now, nobody says it like that because if they said it like that, nobody would believe it. But here's what our world says is true about you, our culture, just the air we're breathing. It's not any one particular person who said it, or maybe people did, but this is what our world believes is true about us. You are completely independent from everyone else and no one has the right to tell you who you are or what to do. Doesn't that sound familiar? You are completely independent. Nobody owns you. Nobody can tell you what to do. You don't belong to anyone else to fulfill their agenda and their plan. And no one has the right to claim you or tell you that this is who you are, nor do they have the right to tell you this is what you should be doing. That's oppressive. That's controlling. That's not right. You are free. You are a free person. You're independent. You don't belong to anyone and you can do anything you want in the world. This is the basis of freedom that our culture fights like hell to keep and says, yes, this is what it means to be free. I am independent. I don't belong to anyone. I don't have to do what anyone tells me I'm supposed to do. I don't have to be who I'm. It's up to me. It's up to you, they say, to determine who you are and what you will do in life. But can I just be honest? that the results of this kind of freedom and what we see in the world are actually a paralyzing amount of fear and insecurity, anxiety, narcissism, and despair. We are paralyzed by fear and insecurity and anxiety about who we really are. In saying that we are independent and belong to no one, we have actually unhinged ourselves from the true source of intimacy, and yet we are constantly looking for love. We are constantly looking to be loved and to be accepted. We seek for it desperately. Even when we believe it, we are afraid that we will lose it. And deep down, we kind of actually distrust that anyone would really love us if they knew who we are, and yet we are free. We belong to no one. We have been unhinged. We were made for intimacy, but we are tell ourselves that we belong to no one. And so the craving for love never goes away. And we are always anxious and fearful and insecure about it. We were also made for meaning and purpose, invited in to join Jesus for his good and beautiful work in the world. But because we are told, hey, you can decide what your purpose is. Nobody has the right to tell you what that is. It's up to you. It's on you. We live either with a sense of narcissism that the whole world exists for me and my pleasure and it's about me and we are st forever staring into the mirror of life, wanting to know what it says, who we are. 
Or we live with this sense of despair going, I have no meaning. I wasn't able to create meaning. What if I can't create this meaning? What if I can't open this door? What if this job doesn't open up for me? What if I don't get into this school? What if I fail? What if I get fired? What if I can never find a job? All of that ties into our sense and it either moves us from narcissism on the one hand to despair on the other hand. Friends, sadly, this is the result of the freedom that we say we need when we say we don't belong to anyone. Nobody has the right to tell us what to do, who we are, or how to live. It's no wonder that our culture is actually not only dealing with a pandemic of a coronavirus, but actually a pandemic of anxiety, depression, and suicide. Because we were made for intimacy and meaning, and we have unhinged ourselves from those things. That is not freedom. And what's interesting is, while we may be able to spot that on one level if someone said to you, oh, you're an orphan and you have no real meaning in the world, the lies actually come in all shapes and sizes and we find them actually easy or easier to believe than the truth that we have been made by God, created to belong to him in love, in his family, and to join Jesus in his good and beautiful mission. There are other lies that sound more true than that. And and here's the thing, like, Without this truth, without the truth, we are actually susceptible to believe these lies. Lies like this. Tell me if you've ever heard these things in your mind. I am what I do. Who are you? I am what I do. You know, when we meet people or the old cocktail party thing, when someone doesn't say to you, who are you? They say, what do you do? And of course, that's who we present ourselves to. Like, I am what I do or what I will be able to do or become. Or I am what I look like. Right? In a swipe right culture or 60 seconds a day to perfect ab YouTube videos that pop up on your feed all the time, we believe that we are what we look like. Our beauty, our body, um, our strength, our capability, our fake eyelashes, whatever it is, is constantly telling us this is who you are, how beautiful other people think you are. I am what I achieve. Right? We live in a world that is constantly encouraging us to boast about what we have achieved or what our kids have achieved or what we hope to achieve or YouTube sensations or whatever it is. Overnight, it is a culture that says you are what you are able to achieve, what you have or can or will accomplish in life. I am how I behave is another one we believe. My good behavior, my upstanding way in the world, my charitable work, my righteousness, my good Christian values, whatever those might be, that becomes who I am. I wrap myself in a sense. The clothes that I wear are my behavior. That's who I am. Or if we behave terribly, it destroys us on the inside. Or I am who others say I am. That I live for the approval of friends or family or bosses or whatever the culture that I'm in. All of these, they sound true because the world is constantly telling us true. And yet these, whether or not you have an identity crisis of being Jesus Christ, the Messiah, we all have an identity crisis of believing these things about ourselves and they can have sad and damaging and dangerous results in our lives if we actually believe this. Rob Reamer goes on to say this in his book. The power of a lie is in our agreement with it. The power of a lie is in our agreement with it. Whatever we agree with, we give power to. If you agree with the truth and hold on to the truth, the truth will set you free. But if you agree with a lie, its influence will cast a shadow in your 
life. For example, this generation has grown up under a Darwinian worldview in public schools. One of my children had a science teacher in the public high school who greeted the students every day with this warning, warming sentiment. Welcome cosmic accidents. If you really believe that you are a purposeless cosmic accident, imagine how that would shape your life. Friends, it is true that you and I have been created for a purpose to belong to God who loves us as a gracious, generous, heavenly parent who has brought us into his family so that we do not need to live alone by ourselves or with ourselves, but we have been brought to be in a family of brothers and sisters who belong to the household of God. And we have been invited into this good and beautiful purpose of joining Jesus in his work of restoration, healing, forgiveness, reconciliation, and redemption in the world. It is true but it has no power unless we believe it. I don't mean that it's only true if we believe it. It is true, but if we do not believe it, it has no power to change us. Many of you know this truth already. I mean, you've read these verses before. Maybe you've memorized them. Maybe you've tattooed them on you. Maybe you've, um, you know, heard a sermon preached. I've preached about it before. Maybe you've, um, you know, put this on a Bible verse somewhere in your house or um, you, you've heard, yes, you know, you've sang, I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am in my father's house. There's a place for me. You've sung that. You've said it out loud. But here's the problem. That truth will not make its way onto our map. That truth will not be the foundation of our life if there is already something else that is the foundation of our lives. If there is already something else on the map, the lies we believe already form the map and how we see the world, already form the foundation of our lives. So we can't receive that truth. It cannot permeate our lives until the other lies come out and then the truth is able to set us free. And so we actually need to begin to see how these lies are at work and to spot them and to root them out and to call them out for what they are so that we make room for the truth to actually transform us. You know, I, I have experienced this in my own life. Um, almost five years ago, I began meeting with a spiritual director and he's someone who kind of pastors me. Like we meet once a month and he asks me questions. He listens to me. He prays with me. Um, his purpose is really just to help me discover where God is at work in my life, how God is speaking to me and how I can speak back to him, help me grow in my relationship with God. And in our fifth session, we had met four times in our fifth session, we're talking, he said to me, can I ask you a question? He said, how come in all four of the first meetings we had, you mentioned that you used to work in business? He said, what's that about? And these words came out of my mouth for the first time. I had never said them before. I didn't even know I thought them, but I said this. I guess I believe the job of a pastor isn't really an important one, isn't something to be proud of. Out of my mouth for the first time. And I realized two things in that moment. That was a lie from the pit of hell, but there was a part of me that believed it. It scared me. And he said, okay, let's talk about that. Why do you think that? Which is just crazy to think. I grew up as the son of a pastor. I loved the fact that my dad was a pastor. I admired him. I learned from him. He was the most influential spiritual mentor in my life. And then I was also mentored by youth pastors, by other people. I love pastors. 
And when I came into this job, I felt so honored to be hired as a pastor into the church. I love the other pastors that are in this church and think very highly of them. So why on earth did I somewhere deep inside me that I believe this lie? that it wasn't valuable, it wasn't important, it wasn't significant, it wasn't something to be proud of. I mean, I think as I started to understand, there was a whole lot of reasons. One of them was if I felt like if I could hold it at arm's length or whatever, then if I failed, because I wasn't really sure I was gonna be able to be a good pastor. I didn't plan on it, I didn't go to school for it, and I thought I could screw up this whole church and it could collapse and fail. And so maybe I just need to hold it at arm's length. As part of it also, I realized, wow, I'm taking a profession that some people in the world just wish didn't even exist. That they're gonna give me a weird face when I tell them what I do that they're gonna wish I didn't do that anymore. Like we're in a culture now where that's, it's listed in the top nine jobs that people respect the least, you know? Um, up there with the lawyers, no offense, okay? Good company, uh, right? This, all of that was in it. And then, and then some of it just sort of realizing like uh, it was just worried too much about what other people thought or how I saw myself in it. I didn't even know I believed it. And it came out from someone reflecting with me and playing back to me things that were coming out of my mouth that were based on a lie that I didn't even know was there. So I want to, one of my jobs as a pastor is to help you with spiritual direction. And so I want to do that for you today. I want to ask you a couple of questions to give you a chance to begin to reflect. This is not going to necessarily maybe immediately expose lies in your life. This is a lifelong journey. I don't think we ever stop, you know, finding the lies, getting rid of them and replacing them with truth. But there's a beginning point. And so here's a couple of questions just to ask you as you're reflecting. If you're a social media user, what do you post the most about? What are most of your posts about? Your family or your relationship status? Your trips or experiences? Your body, your achievements, your opinions? The answer to that question might reveal the things that you think are not just good, but they're who you are, right? Because on social media, what are you doing? You are presenting a picture of yourself. None of those things are bad that we might post. But it may be that you actually believe somehow deep down those are the things that make you valuable. Those are the things that define not just what you do or what you like, but who you are, what you post most about. Now, maybe you're not a social media person, but let me ask you this question. When you meet someone, you know, for the first time or getting together with a friend, what about yourself do you most want to talk about? What about yourself do you hate talking about? Like when you meet someone, say, for the first time, what do you hope they ask you about or what's the part of you you present first What's the part of you that you, they, you hope they just don't ask you? Like, hey, what are you going to do after you graduate high school? And you hate that question. Maybe it's just an annoying question. But maybe it's because you don't know and you feel lost. And you feel if you don't have the answer to that, who am I? I am meaningless. I am adrift in this ocean of meaningless, trying to desperately construct some raft of an education to give myself some sense of purpose, right? That may actually be under the surface. Or we hate talking about our job because we hate our job or we don't have a job right now. Or we don't want anyone to ask us about our family or our relationship status because we aren't in a relationship or our family's not doing well or whatever that may be. And that's the thing that's not just a part of our lives. It is who we think we are. And so we don't want to talk about it or we do want to talk about it. So that's a question. What do you love talking about? What do you hate talking about? Here's another one. What is something you often say to yourself or about yourself? 
you know, in the tape that plays in your head, back in the day when it had tapes, the, the, the recording in your head. I'm such a fill in the blank. I always, I'll never be able to, people think I'm, and maybe many other sentences. What do you catch yourself saying to yourself? Be out loud or just in your head or about yourself. These can be clues or paths that lead us to realize, oh, wait a second. Maybe there's a bold, outright lie or maybe underneath it is a lie. And then this question, would the people close to you describe you as defensive, touchy, or always right? Would the people close to you describe you as defensive, touchy, or always right? Are you always arguing with other people? Are there certain areas like when someone pushes the button and you're always touchy about it? Or are you one of those people that's never wrong, never needs to say sorry, or every sorry you say is followed by a but? (laughs) That isn't just human nature. That may be something underneath that's actually a lie, that we are protecting something, right? If we're defensive about criticism or something, that means we might be protecting ourselves from a lie about who we are because we believe we're this or that. And if that gets attacked or if I'm failing and whatever, I have to defend, I have to defend that because that's who I am. Friends, I know this is not fun, but it is good. Because listen, if you and I can begin to unearth, to identify and root out and pull out and get rid of off our maps the things that we realize are lies, that we've been living our life by or believing, that makes room for the truth. For this truth, that you are constantly loved that you cannot lose the love of a perfect father, that the permanent place for you to live is in his house as a part of his family, surrounded by brothers and sisters who have the love of God in them, the love of God that before the foundation of the world, before you were born, before you did anything, you were loved. It is not based on what you do. It is not based on how you look. It is not based on what you achieve. It is not based on... um, what other people say you are, is based on the love of God for you. If you really began to believe that, if you based your life on that, if that truth was on your map, if that was at the foundation of your house, of your life, you would be free to love other people and not demanding or needing love in return. You would be free to pursue a relationship of love, not scared to death of never finding it or losing it if you have it. You would be free to actually think of others before yourself because you don't need to get their love to feel loved. And if you really believed that your meaning and purpose in the world comes with partnering with Jesus in his work of healing and redemption and restoration and forgiveness, that truth would help you survive seasons where you feel like your job is empty or difficult or where you are working part-time and you wish you were working full-time. It will help you survive seasons where you didn't get into the program you thought you were going to get into, or you have no idea what you want to do with the rest of your life. You know that no matter what you do, 
you are invited to participate and partner with Jesus in the work he's doing in the world. Friends, these truths will truly set us free. Now, I want to just, before we close, talk to those of you that maybe you didn't realize that this is the good news of Jesus Christ, that you actually have been created for love, intimacy, and for purpose and meaning. And that you don't just crave those because there's something weird or wrong with you or that's just human nature. It's because you were made for them. You were made to experience the love of God in the family of God. And you were made to experience the meaning that comes from partnering with Jesus and his mission in the world. And if that's you, I want to invite you just today to receive that for the first time. To actually accept, (laughs) to agree with that truth and make it the foundation of your life. And so if that's you, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer and you can just pray as we do, wherever you happen to be. God, thank you that you have made me to belong to you. Thank you that you love me and that love defines who I am. Thank you that you have adopted me into your family through Jesus, the Son of God. Thank you that I am who you say I am. I want to live my life in that love and for the purposes you have created me for. Thank you for the meaning that comes partnering with Jesus in his work in the world. Amen. For any of you that prayed that, we'd love to, for you to reach out to one of us as pastors, site pastors. We'd love to just continue to walk with you to help you get better connected to the family of God and to the purposes that God has in your life. And for all of us, one of the ways to do that is as we've been encouraging you each week, do the daily readings. This week's daily reading is about who do you think you are? It's gonna help you actually go a level deeper than what we just started today. You just got a little bit of a taste with some of those reflection questions. You're gonna have a chance every day in the daily reading. And you can find that on our app or on the well.ca. And let's just look for daily reading, some scripture, some time reflection, questions, exercises to actually help you figure out what lies might be there. Get rid of them, reject them, and receive the truth that can actually set you free. And I was thinking the world certainly does not need more people who believe they are Jesus. (laughs) That's not going to help our world. But the world doesn't even need more people who believe in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus, and he's not helping the world. The world needs more people who believe Jesus who believe Jesus when he says, the same love that the Father has for me, you have. Who believe Jesus when he says, in my Father's house, there's a place for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you that. I don't lie. Who believe Jesus when he says, if you know this truth, it will set you free.